All right. Thank you for coming back. Uh, thank you for joining me for this fourth episode of the Vinyl Detroit podcast. I hope you're enjoying, you know, what you're hearing here in the previous episodes. This this podcast, I think, is doing really, really great. Getting lots of great feedback from everybody that's listening. I hope everyone's enjoying it. I hope they're enjoying hearing me be able to discuss some of these releases back from, so far we've been mostly in the 90s. And I think we're going to be sticking there for a little bit. There's a lot of great music during that time. Uh, you know, with the last episode, or actually a couple episodes ago with Shoestrings, I was able to you know, talk with them and, and, and they were so gracious to agree to be interviewed. I think we spent about an hour talking, very little editing, and it was just a great conversation. You know, for those of you who maybe haven't heard this yet, welcome. Uh, basically, the, the goal of this podcast is to, you know, listen to some of my favorite albums from, you know, earlier on. And we're going to get into some, you know, some newer albums as we, you know, move through this show. And I really try to spend some time with these albums talking about you know, some of my favorite tracks. We get into the artwork. We talk about, you know, sometimes the mixing, mastering, recording processes. It kind of goes everywhere because these are just albums that I love. And, you know, when you really feel passionate about something or you spend a lot of time, you know, listening to it and looking at it, you just kind of form these ideas about it. And, and this is really my chance to share those things. So all of this, though, is being done really with a goal to to expose people that listen to this to maybe some new music they haven't heard before and really, you know, give people an opportunity to just take a sample of it and then maybe go look into it further, go download it, go buy the album, buy the CD, try and support the artist, and, and really you'll, you'll discover some great music, I think. I'm really, really excited to, to do more interviews. I think it's just so much fun. I think it gives it, the artist a chance to talk about things that you know, that, that a, a, a normal interview doesn't really get into. I like to really talk to the artist about, you know, what motivated them and what got them interested in things and, and you know, how albums came about. And I, I think, you know, you get to hear a different side from these folks and they're just, you know, they're great people. And most of the time they like to talk about it. Sometimes, you know, there's certain things they don't want to talk about. And I respect that. But, you know, so far, like Shoestrings was so open. And, and I think you're going to hear that on today's, you know, episode two. Um, you know, I got a lot more um, show ideas in the works. I've got some more interviews that I'm working on right now. And I would really recommend staying tuned because I think some of these that you're going to hear uh, are really going to blow you away. And, and I think today is another one of those episodes. So, you know, with that, with that intro, uh, this leads me to, to kind of talk about who today's guest is. And I am excited beyond words to speak to Mark Robinson. And, you know, for those of you who, who know who Mark is, uh, Mark was one of the creative forces behind uh, Unrest. And also, you know, he's been the, you know, captain of the ship, you know, could I say, for um, Team Beat Records. And, you know, we're going to talk today with Mark about his and, and his band's release, 1993's Perfect Teeth, that came out on 4AD. So... You know, a little bit about Mark and Unrest, you know, there were many variations of the band throughout the years. Uh, they really started out in 1982, and, and they ran till about 2010, and they recorded a wide range of styles. I mean, if you go back to the early stuff and you compare it to, you know, Perfect Teeth and Imperial in that era, I mean, Mark covers, like, many different songwriting styles and recording styles, and, you know, some of those physical releases were just really, really cool, handmade stuff. I love it. So, you know, really, we're going to start our history here of Perfect Teeth by going back a year earlier. And it was in 1992. They released what, you know, it blew my mind, frankly. And it was an album called Imperial FFRR. And I'm assuming FFRR means full frequency range recording. And it came out on the 4AD imprint Guernica. And it really kick-started a relationship between Unrest and 4AD that would last for, you know, a few years. Unfortunately, I think it was too short. But I believe that those years were definitely, in my opinion, the most prolific in terms of songwriting, creative depth, and even like imagery. I mean, some of the covers and, you know, for those of you who listen to this podcast and you get to see the cover for this album, you definitely know what I mean. So, you know, really going back to the early days of unrest forming, uh, Mark formed his label Teen Beat back in the early 80s. And, you know, not only did he work on unrest throughout the years, but he also had some many, many side projects. He was involved in all kinds of stuff. 
Some of those were like Air Miami, Flin Flon, and others. I have a lot of those records here, and I just think they're all really cool because when you take them all together, you really see, the I would say, the creative genius that you know Mark brings. His history is so deep, in fact, when I did some research for this podcast, that I literally think it would take another podcast just to get us up to speed. So, you know, today I had the, the pleasure to talk to Mark Robinson. He's, you know, he recorded one of my favorite albums. Uh, it again, it's, you know, Unrest Perfect Teeth came out in 1993 on 4AD. But, you know, before we start talking with Mark, which we're going to hear in a second, you know, he's a great guy. He's been super gracious emailing me. Uh, we've, we've contacted each other through Instagram quite a few times. And, you know, he's just been nothing but gracious and you know, I, I really appreciate that, and I think you'll hear that during the interview here. So, for fans of Unrest, you know, you're you're just you're going to find this to be a treat. This this recording, and and really for those of you who don't know who Unrest is or aren't really familiar with Mark's work, I have a feeling this is going to lead you to check out more of what he's done. So, with that, wanted to have you sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy my discussion with Mark Robinson of Unrest, and we're going to really talk deep about their 1993 release, Perfect Teeth. Thanks again for joining me on the Vinyl Detroit podcast. Uh, again, I'm, I'm super excited to welcome, you know, one of my favorites from, from I don't know, <laughs> probably since the early 90s to today. Uh, you know, today we're going to have the opportunity to speak with Mark Robinson of Unrest. And uh, I have Mark on the other line here. We're, he's in Massachusetts, I believe. He's going to kind of talk a little bit more about that. And uh, I'm obviously here in Detroit. So, you know, Mark, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. Me too. I've been a huge fan and hopefully um, you know, hopefully there's there's other fans listening. I mean, I know there's I've been telling some of my friends around here that I'm going to be talking to you and you know, some of the folks that, you know, that that loved you guys and they are so beyond stoked. I've actually been getting texts. In yeah. fact, I just got two more just now. <laughs> so, appreciate you joining nice. us. Yeah. That's great. Uh, yeah, for sure. Thank you. So, you know, as I kind of said in the show open, you know, we're going to talk mostly about, you know, 1993's Perfect Teeth. I, I wore it out. Uh, you know, I wore it out on CD. I probably wore out the record as well. Uh, you know, it was it was your seventh studio album. You know, um, maybe maybe give us a, a chance to talk a little bit about it today. Um, sure. First off, you know, where are you staying these days? Where are you living? What are you doing? Yeah, like you said, I'm in uh, Massachusetts and... Uh, just I have two kids and I do a radio show over at MIT, which is down the street. Um, still playing music, uh, running a record label, et cetera, et cetera. That's doing awesome. graphic design. <laughs> yeah, I love I love the graphic design. It always had that, you know, that Mark Robinson look. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a compliment, I think. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, <laughs> I have quite a few of them over here on my right in my in my collection. Uh, you cool. know, again, like I said, you know, we're going to talk about Perfect Teeth today, seven studio album. Yeah. You know, I've been I've been doing a lot of research on it, doing a lot of research on the band, just kind of getting getting deep into this thing. And, you know, I guess I guess the first question that came to my mind as I was kind of putting mm -hmm. this together was what's what's the meaning behind the, the title Perfect Teeth? Because when you look at the cover, obviously mm -hmm. you don't see any perfect teeth. Um, tell me more about that. That's true, because uh, there is a person on the cover, but I believe her mouth is closed mm -hmm. so you don't see the teeth if you do look on the back cover i'm not sure which uh i think it's the cd and the lp there are tooth x-rays <laughs> which are uh phil krauth's uh who was in the band his his dental x-rays 
No um, way. <laughs> That's awesome. You know what's funny? I have the I have the record right here, and I never knew those were teeth. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. My God. Yeah. So the title is just. Um, I never had any cavities, and I think the dentist would always say you had perfect teeth. Mm. And I remember telling, suggesting the the title to the band, other band members, and they were like, "That is a really weird title," but I thought it was cool. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And and you know, and obviously, it's it's cool that you know you're able to draw upon some you know, <laughs> you know, dental visit to come up with the name of the album. <laughs> I mean, everybody thinks, you know, good music when they're sitting in the chair getting cleaned, right? <laughs> That's cool. You know, I never really knew that. You know, I was I was looking over the credits of the album and, you know, I just, th- there's just some things that were just coming back to me like so heavy and, mm-hmm. you know, it just, the, obviously the album was engineered by Brian Paulson. Sounds awesome. You know, yeah. the, the, the rumor was, and I'm, I'm sure everyone who's looked it up online has seen this, but you know, that, that you guys wanted Simon Laban of Duran Duran to produce it, you know, and, yeah. and I, I looked, I looked it up and I, I was like, oh my gosh, you know what? He, he, he's listed as the producer. So he I is. thought that, was, I thought that was really cool. So I also understood yeah. he, he was, you know, he visited during the process. Like what, what was the, you know, what was the connection between this album and Simon Laban? Um, I think when we went to the, like a bigger label, which was 4AD and then I think in, the u.s we were on like like a larger distribution um it just kind of seemed like oh we can get you know larger you know (laughs) names Mm -hmm. to do things so uh producer is such a uh vague term Mm -hmm. like you have your steve albinis who are kind of more like like an engineer and kind of create the sound and then you have your like your rick rubens who kind of sit there with the demos and and make sure the songs are correct before they get in before you get into the studio. Um, so yeah, Simon LeBon produced our record. It was pretty cool. <laughs> That's really cool. So you know, I mean, like, what was he like? I mean, I don't. Did he did he have any other production credits maybe besides Duran Duran? To that point, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we could look. We could look at Discogs. You know what? We'll pause um, the show and let's look. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, no, the I, the guy who ran 4AD Ivo was kind of new, you know, or new uh, new people that knew other people. So even like the the cover, uh, there's a photograph of Kath Carroll, which is which is done by Robert Robert Maplethorpe. Like he knew uh, somebody from the Maplethorpe estate, and he's like, I know there's this old amazing photo of Kath Carroll, and so he made that happen as well. Like he essentially, you know came up with the idea for that cover yeah you know that was that was one of my questions and i I don't i don't know that that it made the final cut but you know i would just i I, one of my questions and you don't have to answer it of course but you know what was it like working with the maplethorpe you know estate and everything but it sounds like ivo was really the connection there that's pretty cool yeah we didn't really have anything to do with it um i mean like the record label just handled that kind of stuff that's cool but as far as i know they were uh amenable to the whole situation because there she is on the cover <laughs> they made it happen <laughs> so you know I, I just one last question on simon Laban. you know my, my daughter yeah. listens to this podcast she's 18 she's like a, a huge duran duran fan and you know had 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 he heard of you guys like prior to this i mean was he an unrest i fan? don't think so <laughs> no okay i mean i don't think anyone had heard of us especially in, in england probably i mean we i guess we did have the the one record out that was licensed. Uh, but other than that, right. I don't, I doubt it. I can't, I don't remember. That's funny, <laughs> but I doubt it. <laughs> That's cool. Um, you know, I guess at this point I'd like to take a, you know, take a kind of a, a break here and, um, listen to one okay. of my favorite, obviously listen to one of my favorite tracks. Um, you know, I guess this is one of those tracks that if somebody said to me, you know, what's unrest like, and can you give me a little sample? This is probably one of the songs I'd go to and it's so sick and you know I love it and oh, yeah. so you know I want to give you know give those that are listening kind of a little snippet so we're going to take a listen here to so sick
it's so so sick i have the other version okay yeah <laughs> you're quizzing me on my unrest uh well knowledge. i just if that was your favorite song i was like well there's another one that you might like too i don't know yeah <laughs> <laughs> All right, that was a great track. So sick. Uh, you know, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna kind of talk a little more about Mark with Mark here about Perfect Teeth. Um, you know, it was released in '93. Uh, you know, I remember 1993. I was about 19 years old, and the music world was was very diverse. I mean, there was, you know, there was a lot of the indie stuff going on, and then you know, obviously here in the U.S. with Seattle, grunge was was pretty big. I mean, probably reaching what I'd consider its apex. I guess what I'd like to ask you is, you know, what what did you think about that scene? Because, you know, it kind of ran perpendicular to to what Unrest was doing, at least in my opinion. I mean, mm-hmm. how, how what was it like coming up with, with your sound while, you know, everyone's listening to grunge and wearing flannel and, you know, just mm-hmm. all pissed off and everything? Uh, God, all pissed off. <laughs> um <laughs> I feel like our sound, I mean, we had been playing together, at least Phil and I, for, I don't know, 10 years probably before Perfect Teeth had started, <laughs> 11 years. Um, so I think ours was just kind of a gradual, I don't know, uh, evolution of our sound to get to where we were. And I, I don't know, the grunge thing, I remember Nirvana putting out the f- first album, Bleach, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And that was like massively huge, like on the underground scene. Um, and I remember people saying, they sound exactly like Led Zeppelin. <laughs> <laughs> and kind of believing that. But then if you listen to it now, like it sounds nothing like Led Zeppelin. But I right. think that was kind of the take on maybe people that weren't completely into that scene. Mm-hmm. Um so I don't know. I mean, I don't know how to answer this question. Um, no, I, get I get it. You know, I get, <laughs> no, I get, <laughs> that's funny. You know, I guess, you know, I'm, I, I look at like just that era and, you know, like I'm thinking back to like 93 and, you know, Counting Crows. And then on the uh-huh. other side of the coin, you had like grunge and then obviously the indie scene and the 4AD scene. I yeah. mean, it was, it was a pretty, I mean, at least in my opinion, and maybe that's because I was coming up then, but it was a really fruitful time. I mean, I just, there was a lot going on then I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I always think the grunge thing was, like, gigantically huge. Mm-hmm. Like, Soundgarden, Nirvana, like, that was kind of a different world. Like, I yeah. can't, like, were there a lot of grunge bands that were not, like, gigantically popular? Probably. Pro- probably. I don't know. I, I, I can't yeah. think of them. You know why? Because they weren't popular. <laughs> 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 yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't, like, a big grunge guy, so it, was, it wasn't really my scene, but... It was just a cool right. time and, and there was a lot, you know, there's yeah. a lot of things to listen to and there was like almost like a, you know, a scene or a box for, for basically everybody, at least at that time. Now it's, yeah. you know, you, you have access to so much now, but because there's so much access and so much out there, you really got to look, you know, that that's what I find right. at least. Right. I mean, I'd be interested to like, I don't know, have a listening party and listen to like Nirvana and Unrest and, and uh, Pearl Jam and Velocity Girl and, and see like... <laughs> how far apart those genres really are i don't know yeah you know there was there was a there was i'm gonna do a tongue-in-cheek but yeah there was a rumor going around that you know nirvana was gonna do a version of simpatico by uh um, velocity girl (laughs) (laughs) i'm just kidding (laughs) there was a um we had a song called yes she is my skinhead girl oh yeah and hole covered that song no um and I don't know, in the earlier days of YouTube, I don't know if this still exists, but it, there's a, there were tons of entries that said Nirvana. Yes, she is my skinhead girl. But it was like a, just a, a recording of our record. Really? But that was kind of weird. I, I, <laughs> I love that track, and I, I didn't know that Holt did that. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know, obviously, you know, in, in, in my intro, I talk a little bit about, you know, unrest history and, and you mentioned it just now that you and Phil had been doing music, you know, together for many years before perfect teeth. Mm -hmm. Would you, would you mind sharing with me just some of those early influences and maybe how they played into the albums? I'm sorry. Okay. They played into the album during the era of perfect teeth. Kind of how did, how did they play into that? Right. Uh, wow. It's really hard to pick out singular influences. Um, I feel like, you know, I mean, I feel like, well, if you want to go back, because I feel like influences really happen when you're much younger. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So I would say for me personally, like the band Kiss, mm. I would say uh, television shows, television jingles, um, commercial jingles. Like that's what I was listening to. So I th- a top 40 radio, I would say those were my primary influences. Then when I, maybe when I started playing guitar, I listened to a lot of, you know, New Order was definitely an influence. Um, mm-hmm. I always thought when we did Makeout Club, I thought there was some kind of like Jackson 5 thing going on there. <laughs> um, I don't know if that was the influence or maybe I heard that after we had recorded it. Um, I mean, I can point to other, maybe other unrest songs that have a distinct kind of influence, but I feel like on part, I can't think of... Um, of what a specific influence on mm-hmm. Perfect Teeth was. You know, one thing I'm striking you said, out here. That's okay. No, no problem. <laughs> you know, one thing you said though that I thought was kind of cool because I'm the same way. Is you know I'm a kid of the '80s and and you know theme songs and 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 like my favorite all time is WA WKRP in Cincinnati. Yeah. And and like you know my wife she listens to Yacht Rock Radio on Sirius whenever we drive somewhere and okay you know. Between the Michael McDonald. That's a weird thing. It is a weird thing. Believe me. I mean, this like rebranding <laughs> as genre of music 30 years later. I know. Seems odd. And, and you know, <laughs> it, it's funny because even my daughter, who I mentioned earlier, she's she loves Yacht Rock. So we'll be driving. <laughs> and so we're trying to pick out, you know, all the Michael McDonald connections because he seems to be oh. the central character. But then in yeah. the middle of those Michael McDonald tracks, you'll hear like a WKRB in Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> so, wait so, what do you mean you're hearing the actual theme song or you're hearing something that kind of sounds like wkrp no i think i think it was a full track and they play the full song on, on yacht rock very cool <laughs> yeah so I'm, I'm not really sure how it's yacht rock i think mm-hmm. it just fits into the era it's a great song it is a great song so, up and down the dial oh gosh you baby know, you and me were never meant to be i think i hear an unrest reunion coming <laughs> with all wkrp songs that's right you know songs from the late 70s maybe alice will do you know there's all kinds of oh, all yeah. kinds of great jingles out there early to bed early to rise oh okay. man see i'm the same way you know <laughs> i have a friend who uh you know he was a child of the early 2000s and he's like an encyclopedia of boy bands and so oh, wow I, i'm like you know first off i it's not my thing but I said, how did you how did you get to know all these songs? I mean, you know the artist, you know every word, you know the harmonies. And he goes, yeah. it was every day on the bus from school. And he would sit oh, in yeah. the back of the bus. And right. like, you know, from like 99 to like 03, it was like boy band after boy band. And he's like, I know them all and I'm going to know them to my grave. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I remember, uh, what was it? The Preppy Handbook. I remember that from the school bus. And I remember... Uh, it was a Cheech and Chong that there's a great Cheech and Chong song, Eric, Eric, my eye. That was a big, uh, heavy rotation on the school bus. That is hilarious. You know, I remember mine was probably Joan Jett and I used to bring oh, my, wow. yeah. I had a, um, one of those portable, this is probably like 81, 82. And it was a portable cassette deck, you know, it had the single speaker on it. And you'd kind mm-hmm. of, you know, snap the cassette in, you'd have a handle on it. Yeah. And I remember sneaking yeah. that onto the bus. <laughs> <laughs> that's where it all started yeah that's how it yeah. happened cool so hey you know we're gonna we're gonna take to listen to another track here uh we're gonna listen cool. to soon it's gonna rain you know i, I just ugh, i love this one too there, I, I had such a tough time narrowing this one down normally i try to go to like you know five tracks but i actually squeaked in a six track on this show because i just i couldn't i couldn't leave one out <laughs> and nice. you know I, I think, and I don't know if I if I'm off on this one, but I'm just going to kind of talk, I guess, a little bit of my opinion on this. And I think I loved it because you, I think you really showed like how to how you extend your voice on this, and and it's just it's really cool to me. And I think it just it's one of the highlights of the album. So we're going to give that out cool. that song a spin right now, and it's called "Soon It's Going to Rain."
So, um, you know, we just listened to Soon It's gonna, Going to Rain. I'm saying gonna. You can tell I'm from Detroit. I can't pronounce the word <laughs> going to. <laughs> right. I think it's actually, actually, I can't remember the actual title, but I do remember a lot of unrest titles not having contractions. <laughs> so I, it might be called Soon It Is Going to Rain. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, is it? Let me take a look here. You know, if I, if I mess that up, Mark, I'm just, I'm just going to like get off and never talk to you again. Soon it is going to rain. You know, why okay. do you do that? Okay. Well, my apologies. You know, no, I think it's fine. I'm, you totally, would know. I'm all for it. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so we just listened to soon it is going to rain. Uh, Mark was gracious enough to make sure that I got the title right, which I didn't. Thank you, Mark. Yeah. No, no construct, no contractions, <laughs> no contractions found here. So, <laughs> you know, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about uh, the album that came before Perfect Teeth. It was um, Imperial. And um, do you call it Imperial FFRR or do you just call it Imperial? Uh, I mean, around the Team Beat office, we just call it Imperial. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> I, have, I, <laughs> I, have the, um, I have the Guernica CD and the record here. And, okay. Uh, Which yeah. Guernica record and Guernica CD or any American issue? I'm all Thanks. I'm all British here. I have both the all right. The, wow. Uh, yeah, the British versions. I was okay. Yeah, I was an old um, you know, 4AD. Go to the record store and hold out for the import guy. Okay. Yeah. So cool. that was yeah, that. So that those are the those are the issues that I know. So nice. you know, for those of you listening who maybe don't know about that album, you know, it came out before Perfect Teeth, came out on Guernica, who we may have. I think I mentioned earlier in the intro, uh, Guernica being a 4AD imprint. I guess my question on this is I'd love to know how you got connected with 4AD. I'm a huge 4AD mm -hmm. fan from that era particularly. And, you know, what what went into the discussion between, you know, Ivo Rots and, and you guys to release Perfect Teeth on 4AD versus Guernica? Mm -hmm. uh, well, we put out the Imperial album in March, I think, February or March of 1992. And for whatever reason, it kind of struck a chord with people. And all of a sudden, we started getting phone calls from all these companies in the UK um, to do a European edition. And 4AD was one of those companies. And they were like, we have this new imprint called Guernica that we want to do. And, you know, I think it's the first release on that label. Yep. Um, and it sounded good, so we did it. So that came out in, I think, July or August of that year. So that we did that record, and then we kind of got to know the people at 4AD and got to know uh, Ivo. And I think they said, do you want to do your next album with us? Actually, I think at, th at that point, then there was the whole grunge thing like you were talking about. And then there was a lot of record labels that wanted to find the next Nirvana or whatever. And... So we were being courted by various labels and uh, 4AD was one of those labels. And that's how we did Perfect Teeth. That's cool. That's cool. You know, I, again, like I, I probably in my childhood bedroom listened to more 4AD records, you know, feeling sorry for myself and everything. <laughs> and, um, and so, you know, when, when you guys, you know, when you guys popped up on, is it Guernica or how do you pronounce it? Uh, I think they, well, it, at 4AD, I think they called it Guernica. Guernica, okay. Yeah, when it, when when your album showed up on there, I picked it up at the same store that I saw you guys live at. And, um, you know, I was, I, I, it was the first time I'd heard it. I mean, admittedly, and I was just like blown away. And so, you know, when, when you guys showed up on, on 4AD, I was like, oh, what a, what a match made in heaven for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I think I, it was, it was slightly weird because I think we were, I don't know, we, I don't know how we fit in with the rest of the bands, but it was well, that it was, was definitely fun. That was a cool time then. I mean, because you figure that 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 mid to late '80s when they got into you know Pixies and Throwing Muses. I mean that that mm -hmm. American scene, right? And, you know, then with you guys and you know Red House Painters and, and Belly. Yeah. I mean, that was really that era, and I love that right. era still. You know, it just it was it was yeah, really yeah. good. So you know, obviously, you can tell I'm a huge 4AD fan of, from that from that era particularly. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I love the, you know, the V23 design side. I've, I've got, you know, I've got totally. the books and I've got the posters and I'm just, I'm all in. So, you know, kind of talking a little bit more about the cover with Kath on the cover. Um, mm -hmm. 
you know, what was it like working with Chris Big and, and, and that team to, to put the, the sleeve together? I mean, obviously you being a graphic designer, having a, a really sharp eye for that stuff. Was that a pretty cool experience? Right. It was definitely cool because I think up to that point, I was just a, I, I wouldn't even say self-taught. I was just a do-it graphic designer without any training. Um, so that was kind of interesting meeting. That was actually the cool thing about visiting all these different record labels when, when people were asking if we, they could put our records out. Um, cause we get to visit the art department and I was like, wow, this is the art department. <laughs> um, so that no, was great. Cause they had the 4AD office was essentially like one long table and everybody worked at this one table. Um, I don't know, like eight or 10 people. And then there was this kind of like a, I guess, balcony. And then down in the basement was where the designers were, Vaughn and Chris. And so you'd go downstairs and Chris is like, you know, the nicest guy in the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just fun hanging out with him. But I think it was probably, sl- I mean, I tried to be as hands off as I could, but it was also like uh, giving him photos and ideas and things like that. So a lot of, I think like the entire, uh, all the images except for the Maplethorpe were provided by us. Um, and Chris was like a good enough sport to, uh, to use all that. And I think the logo, we, we had designed and used the logo um, previously. And he actually, mm-hmm. he actually did the, he did not do the Guernica record. Really? But he, he did the uh, Isabel EP and the, Perfect Teeth and the Kath Carroll EP, which is kind of like the companion piece to the album. Mm-hmm. I have all of them. You know, I was looking at <laughs> I was looking at the Isabel Bishop EP, and I love that that like cardboardy paper on the twelve inch. Yeah, I mean that was that was Chris Big's idea. Very cool. So um, yeah. I should also say that if you want to dive deeper into Guernica, um, they hired a completely different design firm to do i think they were called the senate or something yep. like that yep it just so, came to so, me yeah so they designed all the guernica stuff hmm. which yeah, was that, a very short-lived label I, I don't know how long they used that imprint but it wasn't very long but what a great set of releases i mean i got together with some friends of mine last week and we, i mean we i was i told them we were going to talk and everything and i mean we were just starting to run through like insides and underground lovers and mm-hmm. that talk i'm like i mean that right. If that was just a record label, like a standalone record label, I mean, what a what a dynamite lineup! <laughs> <laughs> right, right, definitely. <laughs> so yeah, it was very very cool era, and I, I mean, yeah. I just I, I enjoyed it a lot. So you know, kind of going back to the the cover again, because I'm I'm you know, I'm kind of an art geek. I'm I'm no designer, but I just appreciate you know good 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 sleeves and good jackets and everything. Mm-hmm. You know, th- there's a, for those of you you know who don't know the album real well, and we're gonna hear it later. The song Kath Carroll. I, I guess I wanted to ask you, you know, what, what kind of came first, you know, the song Calf Carol or the idea to feature her on the cover? Um, it was definitely the song. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I think we had made, I don't know why, but th- I guess there was the skinhead girl single. And then I just kind of put all my influences on my sleeve as they say. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did the skinhead girl thing, which wasn't, well, that's not really a tribute song, but then we did a whole thing. It's actually was recorded during the Imperial sessions. A It's a cover of a family fodder song that was originally called Debbie Harry that we <laughs> redid the lyrics to and we called it Winona Ryder. So there was Winona Ryder came first and then, and then we, I thought it would be funny if we, I was a huge fan of Kath Carroll's um, band Meow mm-hmm. and her solo stuff. And I was like, well, it'd be even funnier if we do a tribute song to someone that no one's ever heard of. Because <laughs> at the time, you know, Winona Ryder was huge. Sure. So. Sure. Well, that's um, cool. Yeah. So, yeah, I think we had we had actually recorded that song, I think, like a full year before we recorded it for the album. So it was like kind of probably the oldest song on the album. Now, you know, th- was, it, was it recorded at the same studio or no? It was sorry. Yeah, we re re recorded it. Okay. Oh, good. is it? Oh, sorry. Was the album recorded at the same studio as Imperial? No. No. Was uh, was the song Kath Carroll for the album recorded yeah. at the? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. We just we re we re recorded it. Nice. But there yeah, is my- an old there is like an older version that's a lot slower. 
um, from a year earlier. That that for I think we that was the first song we recorded was Kath Carroll hmm. that day, and we had gotten into the studio. And speaking of grunge and Nirvana, Nirvana had just been in that studio recording in your in utero and it was like a residential studio so that you would sleep at the studio it was in rural minnesota um and there was i don't know how much time you spent in studios but a lot of times there can be technical issues where the equipment's not working or sometimes it's just like a patch cord's not plugged in correctly <laughs> or whatever is going on so we're i think we had five days to record which for us was a lot of time but we're paying like I, I can't remember the amount. It was it was probably a good deal, but it was also like seemed very expensive. Sure. So I think we didn't start recording until I want to say like six or seven at night, oh, and geez. I think we were so like amped up and ready to record that that song came out like way faster than we usually played it. But I, I mean, I love the tempo of the f- final version. Oh, I totally love it. Like I, I mean, just I think it, it. I mean, it just fits the album so well. I mean, it just fit, fits your style. It's interesting to. Did the other version ever see the light of day? I don't think so. Oh, I think it might even I think it might even be instrumental. I think we might not have finished it. I can't remember. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. One of, again, love it, you know. Again, one of my favorite songs that I always say. Um, you know, I my my next question, you know, I I've I've obviously played I've played in a band. My my previous episode I interviewed some of my old bandmates shoestrings and so I was involved nice. in, you know, some songwriting process, obviously not not as mm-hmm. extensive as, as you have, but I always like to dig into that with, with artists and find out more about that. So I don't know if you could share with me kind of how did, how did unrest go about, you know, composing a song? I mean, did, did you come with the mm-hmm. idea or did Phil and Bridget come with ideas? I mean, how did that all work? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, generally and historic, well, I guess in the very, very early days of unrest, almost everything was improv um, and then something would come out of just jamming or whatever you want to call it. Um, so I'd say for the most part, you know, things were written and then you'd bring it to the band and then everybody adds their own part to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like live, we would definitely improv a lot. Uh, it was definitely a fun band to be in because we were, everything always kind of sounded a little bit different or at least half the songs did. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny you say that because, you know, obviously I've been to a lot of shows, but that, that show, it was at Play It Again Records in Royal Oak, Michigan, mm. and you know, it was really small, and he was, Alan was the guy's name, and he traveled to Europe, UK, and he would mm-hmm. buy up, like, all this, like, import stuff, so he would, you know, he'd get the factory stuff, he'd get the 4AD stuff, and the legend goes, and he's on Facebook now, so he may correct me on this, but... He would mm-hmm. stuff his suitcase with all this stuff. He'd mm-hmm. bring it back yeah. and he'd sell it. And so that yeah. store that store was like a mecca for me as far as, you know, music and just music knowledge and experience. And that's where you guys played. And it was, I mean, it was really small, really tight. But I think I was standing like three feet from you. But you guys were so energetic live. I mean, just obviously the style with the three piece and, the you know, the, really the, the mm-hmm. quick guitar playing just really translated well to that, to that, you know, room, I guess you would say. Very cool. Yeah, very cool. So, you know, I guess, um, you know, I'd like to take a listen to another track. Uh, Angel, I Will Walk You Home. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Good um, one. Yeah, there we go. Uh, it, it, it's, <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, I'm never going to live this one down. Um, so, so basically, you know, it's a track that features no percussion at all. It, it is the opening track from the album. I believe it's just multi-track guitars from what I can tell. Bridget and you singing vocal duties. Um, Mm -hmm. Let's take a listen to the opening track from Perfect Teeth, and it is Angel, I Will Walk You Home. you 
So, you know, on this album and on some of the earlier albums, you do some unconventional things. And, and we talked about Imperial before. By in the first track, you inserted a volume reference tone, which, you know, at the time, mm-hmm. 18 or 17-year-old me did not understand what was going on at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, some of the other tracks have these drone elements and, and things like that. Uh, one of the examples on this album, you know, would be Food and Drink Synthesizer and even the end of Breather XOXO. What what mm-hmm. was the impetus for, for doing things like these non-traditional recordings or pieces within the songs or even on songs of their own? Right. Um, I think that goes back to the very earliest days of unrest, like when we were in high school and just kind of experimenting and wanting to do everything. So wanting to do like pop songs and do experimental music and I don't know. And why can't these things live on the same record? Uh, and we did, we actually did a lot of songs kind of in, in inspired by, uh, I think this band called crispy ambulance. They had a uh, album called, or not an album. Uh, it's essentially just a two song single called live, live on a hot August night. Hmm. Uh, that has this kind of regular song. And then it just has a drone for like, I don't know, five minutes. <laughs> Um, so there was definitely a few songs where we did that on, on things. I think, uh, is it light command might have something like that too? I think it does. I think it does. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've been, I've been listening to that album in my car and, and I, and I, and I went, after I wrote the question, I keep stumbling on more parts like that, (laughs) you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. And and, I mean, to me it was unconventional. I, I wasn't familiar with crispy ambulance, but you know, it was something that, at least in my world, you know, you guys were the only ones doing. So I thought that was that was pretty cool. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> in well, a good hopefully way. we did it differently and and made it our own or whatever. Nice. So you know, I was I, I talked to my friends a lot. You know, before I do something like this, and I'm like, hey, is there anything you really want to know? And you know, one of my friends was like, you know, Mark counts all these numbers on six layer cake, and you know, mm. obviously some of the counting is, you know, sequential six to, to zero or six to one, but there's some other counting. I don't, I heard it again tonight that I'm like, wait a minute, what does that mean? So c- could you share right. what some of that means? It would be cool if it meant something, but I don't think it means anything. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That's another song that, that, uh, that's another song that might be a contender for the oldest song. Uh, we played that as an instrumental for a long time before it made it on the album. Um, and in fact, I think we did a peel session with it. Uh, so I don't know. I just, I don't know, six layer cake. And then I just threw some other numbers in there. I think that's the whole story. I should have thrown somebody's phone number in there or something. Yeah, really. Or, or made up or just made up a story about it. Like, you know, something that, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Should I do that now? It's all Morse code or something. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. It was sent to you from, uh, you know, somewhere else, some other planet. You can't talk (laughs) about it. (laughs) (laughs) um you know so we were just talking about six layer cake and you know another one of my you know favorite tracks from the album so let's go ahead and give that a listen Obviously, with Unrest, there was some different variations in terms of the members of the band. And, you know, the era that, that I was, you know, really listening to it and really, you know, engaged by it, it was it was Bridget and Phil. I mean, do you still, mm-hmm. stay, in con- do you still stay in contact with them? I sure do, yeah. I just saw Phil last week, and Bridget lives in Alaska, but I talk to her frequently. Nice, nice. I mean, you so. know, obviously, just like you, I mean, playing in a band, you, you just... I don't want to, I don't want to make the connection to like war, but you know, it's, (laughs) you know, but, um, you know, you, you go through a lot with these folks, you know, you, you, you travel and you you share your, you know, your intimate feelings and your ideas with them. So there's just this trust that happens. And I think, you know, not everybody is, you know, 
so close. I mean, I think I've heard like the black crows hate each other or they used to hate each other and mm-hmm. everything. But I think when you go through those things, I mean, I think connections are made and it's great to hear you guys are mm-hmm. still, you know, still staying in contact for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I was, I, I, when I was listening to the album again last night and again today, I, I just, I, I listen pretty critically. I'm listening to instrumentation and just, you know, mixing and where the things are at. One question I'd like to know from you is, you know, obviously when you look back on that album and I'm, I'm sure, you know, being the person that, that worked to create it, you hear maybe some of the flaws that all of us don't. Is there anything that you would have done differently or changed? Um, I think so. Yeah. Um, for each of the unrest albums, at least as far as for most of the records, we were, we would record like 20 songs or more. So, you know, custom carnal black exploitation mm-hmm. that one has, I think 13 songs on it. So there wasn't as much there. A lot of it went on to the album. Um, but there was a whole nother group of songs uh, that could have gone on there. Um, same thing with Imperial. And then with Perfect Teeth, we did that companion EP, the the Kath Carroll EP. And then we also did the seven inch box set, which has some uh, tracks that weren't used. So I think the only thing I would do differently would be maybe song selection. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like maybe. I think uh, I think the song Vibe Out from the EP is amazing. I think the reason it didn't get on the album is uh, because it was too long. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that was that probably wasn't a good enough reason. <laughs> <laughs> and I and to be honest, I probably would take Six Layer Cake off of it. Really, really. A- and I maybe maybe would take off uh, Angel I'll Walk You Home. I think oh, you're taking off two of my <laughs> six favorite songs. <laughs> 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 well, you know what? I'm not going to ask that question anymore because I don't want anybody ruining any of my favorite albums. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, not that you said, I feel like that guy who, you know, I, I, I've been a Beatles fan. I'm more of a new Beatles fan. I'm not like the old Beatles fan, but, you know. What's I, the difference? I, well, so, you know, I, I guess in, in at least in my group of friends, and yeah, I probably should explain this. You know, they're, they were like, they're really into the Beatles, like, like obsessive about it. And I was always like, you mm-hmm. know what? I don't really get it. I'm, I'm kind of more into unrest. You know what I mean? And so <laughs> as I got, as I got older though, and I was finding that, you know, a lot of the things that I was listening to had connections back to, you know, Rubber Soul and Revolver mm-hmm. and, and Pet Sounds and all that kind of stuff. So I started to really. That's exp- not the Beatles. No, no, I, I snuck that one in on you. <laughs> and, um, and so, you know, I, I, I would hearken back to that stuff and I would listen to it. And so I, I, I kind of got to know a little bit of the old stuff. But then when the new releases came out, these like Giles Martin remixes and all that kind of stuff, to me, I'm like, wow, these are great. Like, I've never heard the Beatles. I love this. But then my mm. old guard friends are like, no, do you notice that George's guitar was on the left and now it's mixed to the upper right? I'm like, no. <laughs> So no, I didn't. Wow. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, so Mark, I mean, obviously thank you again for joining me. There's, you know, I got, I got really one more question for you and it's really just to, just to kind of share for the audience and anybody's listening, you know, you're obviously involved in a lot of different projects, a lot of different things going on. Is there anything you want to share with everybody today? What maybe you're working on? Um, Yeah, I do. I do a radio show every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern time on WMBR at MIT, um, WMBR.org, uh, which is kind of fun. It's called Mark and Evelyn's American Top 41, mm-hmm. where we, we count down the top 41 songs in the nation every week. Um, I perform in a acapella duo called Cotton Candy. Um, I do another band called Fang Wizard with my friend Trevor. And, um, yeah, just, and I run a record label called Teen Beat. So there you, go. you just make me feel like a slacker with all that because, you <laughs> know, I, I have my job and I have my kids and then I come home and once in a while I do this, but boy, you, you do a lot. <laughs> I do. I do too much. Probably. That, that's good. <laughs> like, like they say, it keeps you young. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, you know, I guess, Mark, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to take you all night. Like I said, I had so many questions I could have asked you, but I, I tried to boil it down the ones that, I don't know, I guess I really wanted to know. And I was hoping that, you know, those that hear this, you know, would want to know too. So thanks again for joining cool. me, Mark. I really appreciate it. You know, Unrest has been, 
a huge part of my life, as I've kind of talked about throughout the episode here, really from kind of my college years, my, my senior year of high school even. And I just, I appreciate everything you do with Perfect Teeth. And, you know, I appreciate everything you've done. And, and again, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great. Cool. Yeah, it was really fun. So, you know, as we close this out with Mark, you know, the, the creative force behind Unrest, uh, you know, I want to play one more track here. Now, now this track, though, is, is called Light Command, and, and actually it's it's being sang or sung, I'm having grammatical problems today, um, <laughs> by uh, by bassist Bridget Cross. And, and I feel like, you know, it really, from an instrumental standpoint, just really features the quintessential unrest sound. So with that, let's give Light Command a spin. And again, Mark, thanks for joining me. Thank you. As I close out this episode, I'm happy to share that this and all other episodes of the Vinyl Detroit podcast can now be heard on your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. I would welcome any comment at vinyldetroit.podcast.gmail.com. Also, if you like what you've heard, leave a review. Thanks for listening, and a very special thank you once again to Mark Robinson for the discussion. Let's give one last listen to a track about Perfect Teeth's cover star from the Unrest's 1993 release, Perfect Teeth, and my absolute favorite showcasing Unrest at their finest, and this is Kath Carroll. 